Hello and welcome to Tarot Bites. I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of the Tarot Coloring Book and your host for this podcast series. This is episode 102 of Tarot Bites, the podcast where I dish out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on how to read tarot. And for today's episode, our topic is stage cards. And my special guest is Sasha Graham, the author of Llewellyn's complete book on the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot, A Journey Through the History, Meaning, and the Use of the World's Most Famous Deck. Welcome, Sasha. Hi, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that you're able to be here with me again. I loved our discussion on on the history of the Rider-Waite-Smith Deck in a previous episode, so this is a real treat for me. Well, I am happy to be back. <laughs> well, we've got a very interesting topic today. We are going to be talking about stage cards, and I know that you've talked about these previously in other places. So I'd like you to tell my audience, first of all, what are stage cards? Well, okay, so stage cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck are actually super fascinating because they are very mysterious. Their presence, the fact that they even exist uh, inside the Rider-Waite-Smith deck is kind of a mystery, right? And all of us tarot readers, um, it's the mystery that gets us into the cards, right, to begin with. So, um, so it was really, I was really kind of excited and titillated when I discovered that 13 of the Rider-Waite-Smith cards are stage cards, meaning they are literally illustrated as if the action on the card is taking place on a theatrical stage. Um, now, you can find this in your Rider-Waite-Smith deck um, by looking at uh, uh, stage cards. They have a double line that appears behind the characters where it actually appears like a scrim or a theatrical backdrop uh, comes down, and that looks like the characters are standing on the stage. Um, and once you kind of like really investigate the book, or perhaps the people listening have, have been using your tarot coloring book and noticed it on their own, oh, these cards look like they're on a stage. Um, so, of course, the next big question for me was, you know, why? Mm-hmm. Um, and out of these 13 cards, it's you know, it's random cups, pentacles, swords, but not in any, they're not arranged in any logical, in any logical way. None of the major arcana are in stage cards. So I was very, very curious as to why and how those came to be. Uh, And then I came up with my own way that that readers um, can use a stage card uh, to interpret them in, in, in an extra special way when they appear in a reading. You know, the artist Pamela Coleman-Smith, um, I think that uh, Wade, of course, commissioned her to design this deck. You know, what do we need to know about her background and how that might mean, how that might be playing into these stage cards? Right, and of course, Pamela Coleman-Smith's theatrical background is, is the, the fact that the stage cards even exist at all. It's a, it's a, it's a derivative of her experience in the theater. Um, from a very young age, when she was a teenager, she literally kind of ran away um, after she left the uh, Pratt School of Design, which she didn't actually graduate from. She ran away with the Lyceum Theater, which was... Um, 
like the number one, one of the number one, like think of like a great Broadway theater. This was like the premier uh, stage company of the London stage. Uh, and they were on tour in the United States. She hopped on tour with them and then stayed with them uh, at about age 18 or age 19. Um, during that time, her, her mother had already passed away, but while she was on tour with the Lyceum, her father passed away as well. And so she wound up going back to London with the Lyceum theater, literally adopting them. She was kind of like the Lyceum's adopted daughter. Now, what makes this even more exciting is the person who hired her, the manager of the Lyceum Theater, was Bram Stoker, Mm. the author of Dracula. And he had actually already written Dracula um, when he hired Pamela to come on. Um, But a little known fact is that he never really saw great success with his novel Dracula. Um, It didn't become really a bestseller until it was made into a film in the next century uh, when Hollywood got hold of the story. So he kind of died penniless in the same way that Pamela Coleman-Swift and even Arthur Waite, uh, the creator of the writer Waite Smith deck, none of them were really recognized for their contributions until long after their death. So anyway, so she's with the Lyceum Theater. Bram Stoker is the manager there. The two hottest stars of London, kind of like the Meryl Streep of her day, was Ellen Terry, who had taken Pamela under her wing And so she worked with the theater. She did background work. She painted uh, sets. She created costumes for them. And she really kind of lived that fabulous theatrical lifestyle. Um, So it's not surprising, understanding Mm -hmm. Pamela's history, that when it came time for her to create her tarot deck, that she put in some stage cards. Um, And what's actually even more interesting was that she had, prior to joining the Lyceum Theater, had created miniature stages her whole life. In other words, um, uh, a mini stage was something that uh, artists and that even kids would have, which, like, you know how kids put on, like, performances – a miniature stage was quite literally kind of like a puppet show theater, but instead of doing a puppet show, it was literally like um, a reincarnation of a theatrical stage. And she, being an artist, had dozens and dozens of characters that she would draw and put on cardboard, and she would bring them out. Um, she was like really renowned for her miniature her miniature theaters. And, uh, and continued to be as she was an artist in London and after the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. So it was something that, that she actively used. She was a storyteller. Um, so, so knowing that, and there's pictures in my new book, um, and Mary Greer has pictures of her miniature stages as well on her blog, um, you can really see that the stage cards are quite literally um, kind of like little snapshot illustrations of her miniature theater. All of this is why her Rider Waite Smith tarot is still so compelling after a hundred years, right? Because mm-hmm. because she was basing it on the stage, because she was like kind of grounding it in Elizabethan theater, because a lot of the works that they were doing um, were the classic Shakespeare tales. And if you look at the Rider Waite Smith deck kind of with those eyes, you recognize that okay, they're wearing this elemental archetypal clothing. Um, yeah, and, and performing a, a show with which we can all project our own life onto, which is why the cards are so effective. So, you know, of course, um, and by the way, it's fascinating that she was with Bram Stoker. My husband's going to love that fact. But uh, I want to ask about Arthur Waite's um, part in this. Did he have any input in the stage 
her putting the stage images in there, or was that all hers? Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing. You know, we all know, and it's very obvious, that Arthur Waits had a very keen interest, and perhaps his only interest really lay in the major arcana, because, of course, he was talking about the, the nature of uh, divinity, right, and how mm-hmm. divinity manifests itself on Earth, and how the occultist moves, you know, from the material world into the spiritual world. Like, that's that's really what he was interested in. He was a Christian mystic um, and an esotericist. So what's fascinating when you look at uh, even his descriptions and the pictorial key of the tarot, some of about four of the cards don't even match up. What he describes is not what are in those cards. So it almost looks as if, and people speculate, that Pamela was really left on her own to do whatever she wanted to with the minor arcana. Um, Another reason the Rider-Waite-Smith deck is as popular as it is was it was the first deck since the Sola Busca deck, which was created in the 15th century in Italy. Um, it, uh, the Rider-Waite-Smith deck and the Sola Busca deck both illustrated the minor arcana. Mm-hmm. Before that, if you were looking at any like Marseille tarot deck, you know, the Seven of Wands, you would just see seven wands on the card. You wouldn't see an image that would be easily interpretable. Uh, so... Whether or not Waite had any direct uh, uh, input on using the stage card, there's no proof, but my money would be on the fact that he pretty much left her to her own devices to create the minor arcana. Um, And, of course, like any artist, you know, she used what she knew, what was available to her, what made sense to her in interpreting uh, uh, her ideas of the card. So sometimes I, I often think that maybe that maybe she had thought when she was beginning the minor arcanas, maybe she had made the decision to put them all on a mini stage, mm-hmm. make them all stage cards, and maybe she changed her mind as she was working her way through the deck. Uh, there's no way to know, but it certainly is exciting when a stage card pull comes up uh, because you can use that to uh, put an extra layer of interpretation uh, onto your meaning of that card. So tell me how a, re- a, tarot might, a tarot reader might do that. How might they use the stage card you know, how might they interpret it or use it as, as you say, for an extra layer of meaning? For an extra that? layer of meaning. So what's, what's wonderful about the metaphor of the stage card, the idea that all the world is a stage, right? It brings us back to the idea that, um, you know, everything that we create in our life is essentially a story, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea of a stage, I love, I love breaking it down to the, when you go see a show, and I'm, I'm talking about live theater, right? And you think about the fact that when this deck was created, there, if you wanted to be entertained, you had to go see something live, right? There was no television, video, uh, multimedia. So, so when you went to the theater, you were there living and breathing in the same space with a living, breathing audience and actors, right? I love the idea um, of, of, of the idea that all of the world is a stage. So when a stage card comes up for you in a reading, you automatically can remember that there are three levels of interpretation that you can put onto it. Uh, You can decide, um, are you on stage? Are you putting on a show? Are you doing this? Whatever happens to be the situation at hand, are you moving out of the ego? Are you doing this to impress? 
mm-hmm. other people, right? That idea of of being on display. How is the situa- situation at hand on display for those around you? So you can understand a court card in terms of literally your situation being on a stage, literally you being on the stage. What is it that you're trying to project to the world around you? Or are you looking at it from an audience perspective, right? If you're Mm -hmm. sitting there and watching, what could you learn by removing yourself from the situation and watching it play out as if it was a show, right? It's sort of taking like, it's, it's almost like taking a bird's eye view of removing yourself from the situation. And in that way, you start to look at the card and you say, okay, well, if I'm looking at the two of cups, who would those two people be in my situation? And how do I want this to resolve itself? And moreover, more importantly, what's the lesson, right? Because mm-hmm. we go to theater, we read novels, we pay attention to narrative because it teaches us how to be. It gives us solutions um, in our lives that we might not have ordinarily thought of. So if you can step back and look at any situation in your life as if it's something that's unfolding before you um, uh, for entertainment, you know, what do you want to see happen? What's the point? Why, why are we all gathered there? Uh, and then the third layer of interpretation of a stage card, of course, can come from the stage hand, writer, or director's point of view. Is this something that you have just created uh, out of ego, out of artifice? Are you just being dramatic? You know, Are you trying to get your point of view across to people? Are you trying to express something that is deep and authentic and meaningful to you? Or are you putting out a piece of like bubblegum fluff? So, so to bring it back to the beginning, whenever a stage card comes up, you can look at that stage card and you can look at your situation or your question that you've come to the cards with from three points of view. And that would be, are you an actor participating in the drama? Are you sitting in the audience? Are you watching it unfold? Or are you the creator, like the writer or the director? Have you had a direct hand in what is going on? And then ultimately, you know, when the curtain comes down and the lights go off and everybody heads home, you know, walks home or hails a taxi, you know, what do you want the final takeaway to be? Uh, because we all have a hand in the drama that unfolds in our life, and we really are all starring, you know, we're all starring in the play, film, novel uh, of our lives. And, and as the lead role, you know, we, have, we bear a direct responsibility on where our narrative goes. So it's also empowering, you know, I think. I, I love what you've shared, and... Um... I'd love to use one of the stage cards as an example of how to interpret it through all three of those lenses, including the lesson. So, you know, I'm going to just pick the Seven of Swords. Mm. So if you could use that as an example, so that will get my audience really percolating on how they might work with the other stage cards. What could you say about that from all those perspectives? Okay, so Seven of Swords. Let's Let's begin with, is that you literally on the stage, right? One of the key parts of the Seven of Swords, and you can see it very easily by observing the card, is that idea of trickery and deception. When you're looking at the card from an actory ego place, you can talk about, let's see, am I getting pleasure from the fact that I'm getting away with something? What's more, do I gain pleasure by letting 
letting someone know I'm getting away with something, right? It's that idea of cleverness. There's mm-hmm. cleverness in the deceit. And oftentimes when we're trying to impress someone, we want them to know this is how clever I am. Maybe you're trying to show your child, like, I'm a clever mom, and I know you want to listen to what I have to say because, like, I know the way the world works, and let me show you. Maybe you are trying to get away with something that you shouldn't be getting away with, but getting away with it and letting people in on it is part of kind of like what's getting you off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then there's that, that, that almost magician-like ability to show people how dazzlingly clever you are. So that's one way. You could look at the performer aspect of the Seven of Swords. Uh, if you look at the Seven of Swords, Um, and you understand that from an audience perspective, right, then suddenly it becomes this wonderful kind of learning experience. You know, when we go see a film like... uh uh, like a great mystery or we see some, uh, like a crime caper, we see people pulling off really clever uh, uh, things in theater, um, we start to realize how we can maybe manipulate and be clever and how we can become smarter. So then the Seven of Swords becomes this, okay, how can I become a little bit edgier? How can I shear off what it is that I don't need? What can I learn from this character who's about to get away with murder, who's about to be slipped you know, who's about to slip away in the night undetected. Um, how can I how can I gain some of those qualities so I can have a quick, clean, clear exit? Uh, so that would be a, an audience way of understanding that. And then in terms of being the director or the writer of the show, uh, I think that in a way is kind of the most exciting because when you're creating a story like that, what you're really doing is, is teaching yourself like how it's kind of that perfect combo of actor and audience, mm-hmm. like how Bengali can I be? Um, how, how much can I delight in not only being very, very clever, but also letting everyone in on the joke so that everyone, everyone is as empowered as I am at the end of this show. So that's the idea of, of being incredibly clever and quick, uh, uh, but letting others along, you know, bringing others along for that ride so that, so that they come out as empowered as you are at the end. I love that. And one last question. Yes. How might a tarot reader know when the stage card is an actual situation where you're involved versus, you know, one that's being played out in some way? That comes down to the tarot reader's intuition, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's kind of one of those questions that, like, will come up often in a class. They'll say, well, if there's a hundred different meanings for, say, the two of swords, how do I know which one is the right one? You have to be willing to uh, trust your intuition muscles, and you have to be comfortable enough as a reader to uh, to, to, to go with what's coming up for you. So when you're trying to interpret a stage card, the best thing is to stay out of your own way mm-hmm. and go with your first impulse, your first instinct in interpreting it. And that is such great advice. As always, Sasha, you are such a fountain of knowledge and um, good, common, practical sense tarot skills. So I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing all this wisdom today. Yeah, oh my God, thank you so much for having me. And all of this is also in my new book, uh, Llewellyn's Complete Book of the Writer Wade Smith Tarot. And also it's in my book, Tarot Diva, as well. So if 
anybody wants to go back and, and read more about it, uh, it's definitely out there for you. And I do highly recommend for people who are listening, getting those books. They're really awesome teaching tools, and they're going to give you a lot of information that's going to help deepen your connection with the tarot. Yay. And Sasha, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me at SashaGram.com. You can find me on Facebook, Sasha Graham. You can find Sasha Tarot Diva on Instagram. If you Google me, I come up. I'm very Googleable. Awesome. <laughs> find me anywhere. I'm out there. <laughs> and people do follow her. She is amazing. And you. that wraps up this episode of Tarot Bites. You can check out lots more tarot goodness on my website, thetarolady.com. I've got free introductory classes for tarot newbies, the tarot coloring book, hundreds of blog posts, astrological forecasts, and lots of other good things for you to scope out. Enjoy. Thanks again for listening, and have a beautiful day. And remember to pay close attention to your intuition throughout your day, and let it guide you into making brave, excellent choices. You are always in the driver's seat of your life. You are in charge of your decisions, your plans, the action steps that you take or don't take. You're the boss. And if you don't like where your life is headed right now, you can change that. Nothing is ever fixed in stone. The tarot cards tell a story, but you write the ending. <laughs>